another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am once again impressed by your intro here. Very, very topical. <laughs> I'm try. doing all right, man. Yeah, good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right as well. Yeah. What are we talking to... about today? Well, today we're going to chat a little bit of uh, trying to clean up a muddy mix. Mm-hmm. Something that, you know, I, I suppose most of us are trying to avoid getting a muddy mix more or less successfully, I guess. Yes. Well, I would start that that starts with muddy tracks. Yeah. That you get it, it from somebody be, yeah. else if it isn't you doing the recording and doing it right. Right. Or if you just had an off day <laughs> and had tracks well, that it were all just happens, not well done. Well, we're going to try to see what we can do with all of that. But as always, I think we'll try to establish here first what, to us, what, what kind of constitutes a muddy mix. What's so, the first thing you think of? Lack of clarity to me. Yeah. It's like there's kind of like know, that intro. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, exactly. So, lack of definition between instruments, mm-hmm. you know, and that can happen obviously with a lot of instruments perhaps occupying the same frequency range. Mm-hmm. So, no top end, just a cluttered mess, basically. Yes. Right? That's what I'm thinking. You agreement with that? Or I'm in agreement with you, it. Yeah. I would use and maybe it, slightly different terminology on a couple of the subjects, but that you just mentioned. However, it's the same concept, so I don't need to jump in with that. How are we going to fix this kind of stuff? Well, the first thing I like to do is, let's say this is a track that I'm getting from somebody else to mix. Mm -hmm. I'm not involved in the production. Well, you are involved in the production. You just weren't involved in the actual recording. Well, but let's say if I'm not the producer, I don't have that kind of clout in this situation that I'm just making up at the moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But the first thing I look at is the arrangement of the song. Okay. Right. And see, are there potential issues there? And this is something I know we've touched on before, but should stuff be simplified? Not necessarily from a song structure type of point, but in the arrangement. Is there like 10 keyboards doing a very similar thing? You know, is there two bass synths going on at the same time. Say and that no 15 times fast. I can barely do it once. <laughs> so, so all of those things are what I'm kind of looking at and see if there's anything that we can do to rectify right there, right? It, it, removing a couple of things, if they're not strictly necessary for the sound, that's the, the first port of call that I tend to go to. Well, here's a question for you in regards to that. Yeah. How heavy-handed are you with arrangement-type things And how delicate do you have to be in regards to the artist when you're doing this? Well, you need to have a communication with that artist. Yes, you do. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily just automatically remove stuff. Um, (laughs) Are you you sure? (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not sure. I might do that. I have done that in the past where I've done mixes for people and they send me each guitar tracks has been recorded with like three different microphones mm. and I don't have a DI, right? And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is too much. It's it's not suiting each other. I'm not going to fight that. I'm going to go with a 57. Sure. That, that's the track we're using. So I've done that and it's not like, oh, what, what happened to the one that was mic'd with the esoteric Octava mic or whatever happened to be, right? What so, about my Royer 121? Yeah. If they're not adding anything to that, I I can be pretty heavy handed, but I would be 
a little bit more communicative, I suppose, if there's one of those things where, well, you know what, we have a guitar line doing this thing and you got four different synths doing the same thing. Right? Which one do you want to take priority and then kind of go from there? Sure. Because if you don't do that, if you don't have that communication, they just go, well, what what happened to my keyboard pad there? That was my original idea. That was my creative input on the song, you know? <laughs> so, You know, uh, that reminds me of a real quick story here. I did an audition for a band known as Evan and Jaron, and they had a couple of big hits, a couple of guys. I was on my way out of town when I was given the tape by a buddy of mine at the record label. And so I was listening to the stuff as I was driving out of town, and I got back the day of the audition and learned everything that was on the tape. When I went in to do the audition, I was playing the guitar parts that I was given. I got done with the audition and I don't remember if it was Evan or if it was Jaron it was one of the two guys <laughs> who piped up and said man you are a really amazing guitar player but where did you learn those guitar parts and I was like yeah it was on I remember the, this <laughs> it was on the, the the tape that was given to me yeah well that's not the stuff that we gave out and that's not on the record <laughs> Oops. <laughs> exactly. Oops. So somebody I didn't was in throw trouble. My, yeah, I didn't throw my friend under the bus that actually gave me the audition from the record label. But uh, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. So <laughs> they, people will know when you take things out of the arrangement sure. if they are very involved in their song, which they should be. But right. as the mixing engineer, as you mentioned, there should be good communication. Yeah. To talk I mean, about it- how the arrangement should work amongst the instruments. Yeah, it's easy as an artist when you have these ideas where you you like to layer things to kind of create a certain sound. When you're creating the actual part, it's like, well, this sounds great. It's thick and full and rich and all of those beautiful adjectives. <laughs> but when it comes to putting everything together, it might it just might not work. And to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, that's why I'm not usually a big fan of a bunch of presets that you get for let's say synths and stuff and and just virtual instruments as they are because it sounds like vegas casino when you hit down a chord right (laughs) there's so much stuff going on and that's impressive and it shows what the keyboard can do and you know how much modulation you can use and whatever but it's very very tricky in my opinion to get that to use in a mix so you have to kind of scale back a little bit to have it be appropriate for what it is that you're attempting to do. Or if you want to use the Vegas casino that you're talking about, it needs to be pretty much primarily the only thing in that situation. Yeah, right. You have to use caution there. Like, like you said, if there's a lot of stuff going on in the initial patch, then you know maybe you don't need eight electric guitars on top of it as well. You know? <laughs> well maybe four. So, be yeah, because you got to have four, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be like so, so that. So that's the first thing I go to. What other stuff do you start looking at arrangement wise no just if there's other topics that maybe that you you would go to i mean if there's anything you want to add to the arrangement thing just go for it but well i will reiterate the concept of your layers if there's too many things doing the same or even they don't have to be doing the same thing they could be doing different things stepping all over each other yeah and that can also be a mess and it's like somebody trying to throw the kitchen sink at a part and it's like why are you doing that don't 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I know I'm super guilty of that in the past when you're creating guitar parts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? So, oh, this is cool. Oh, I can fill this little hole here. But now there's 16th note gaps. And you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Take it easy, buddy. It's <laughs> like simplify it. Yes. There's going to be vocals on this too, you know? That's the so, idea anyway for some things. Yeah. The next thing so, that I'd probably jump in on, though, is the volume levels between tracks. And yeah. in conjunction with that could involve using compression or limiting yeah help with those levels as well yeah so it's like the dynamics of the track right yes it's kind of like what i'm thinking of as well where you can have it breathe and again if you have all those glorious ideas with all your layering that you kind of want that to be heard all the time so it's just that nice thick sausage of noise going on through your track where where nothing is really prominent because everything's just up front so well the other uh, thing that becomes a problem when you have a lot of compression going on is that if you have a lot of layers as well, it can exacerbate the problem yeah. of things stepping all over each other. Absolutely. So you have to be careful about that. Yeah, but, there's... No, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it goes in line with something you mentioned in a previous episode where a mix is not a democracy. Yep. You have to be heavy-handed in certain things. And when you've got stuff that is muddying up a mix, you have to suddenly start being king mix guy and saying, off with this head, or off with it, but, or off with this low, or off with this high, to kind of give it a different uh, analogy. Yeah, and again, when we're while we're mixing those tracks and making those decisions, to keep in mind that the track itself now might sound really, really odd in solo mode, but that's not how anybody's going to hear it. It's going to hear it in conjunction with everything else, so it needs to fit in there. So True sometimes that. we can be... Yeah. But last night I was working again on my happy space, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, with creating guitar sounds. Uh-huh. And in re-watching a famous series of movies called Fast and the Furious, which is always fun, there was one particular movie in that series that had a very, very distinct guitar sound in it. I recreated that sound last night because I wanted oh. one just like it. Good for you, man. And in solo, it sounds kind of assy. It's a good way of saying it. But in the context of what that was and where I can envision using it in the future, it sounds good. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So so we don't listen to it in solo. We we just hear it in the track. And so sometimes we have to be aggressive with, with those things. Yeah, the first thing, just levels in between. Even if you have stuff like that is super stacked, Right, going back to that democracy thing, right? Mm-hmm. One thing is going to be prominent, and then if you end up using all three or whatever, you have to decide well, what takes charge? One thing is going to be, and the other ones might just be tucked in between, or if they're used at all, right? Because sometimes the layers make up a certain sound. So let's go back to that, that keyboard analogy again, right? Mm-hmm. Where they might serve different functions. So it's not like there's necessarily something inherently wrong with layering things if they create a cohesive part it's just that you know we have to know why we're layering stuff and not just in the same frequency range or you're just creating this bloated thing this cacophony of yeah right that's uh something to definitely look out for i think sure i think so too and while we're about to move on to the next section let's actually stop for a moment and take a word from our sponsors and we're back. We're going to move on from the dynamics and the arrangement portion of things and start talking about what? 
EQ. Yes. Because this kind of goes hand in hand with the layering of frequencies and this and that. So that's essentially it with like a muddy mix. There's too much frequencies everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Frequencies, frequencies, frequencies everywhere. Exactly. So again, you have instruments are fighting for space. I would actually call that something slightly different, even though that's a good phrase. I'd say that they are masking each other. But that's why you're the linguist and I'm not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's true. You you are masking frequency buildup. Again, what's the most important part of the song? And generally, it's always the vocal, right? If it's a vocal song, right? That's but when it comes to masking, and let's kind of stick to this point a little bit, and you have instruments, as we mentioned earlier, stepping all over each other. The idea there is that they're occupying similar frequencies. Yeah. And that's where problems can arise. And that's where what we call masking happens, where they both can work in conjunction with each other, and they might actually blend well, and that might be a good form of masking. But then there's the other kind of masking where they're not blending well, and one is literally hiding another or actually clearing out another in terms of the fight that you were mentioning where they might have problems with their phasing, even though it's slightly different from masking, but masking can happen in positive and negative ways. What's the best way to kind of deal with that? Well, the most popular, I guess, way of looking at this or the most easily to sort of grasp is, again, if we take that relationship between Bass, whether mm-hmm. it's bass synth or, or kick drum, okay. right? very similar, you know, foundational frequencies there. So just deciding what is going to take, what's the most important part? And that depends on the track and the style of music that you're doing, obviously. But I would use EQ then to maybe carve out part of that frequency range on the lesser important track, for one mm-hmm. of a better mm-hmm. phrase, right? Yep. So you might, let's say... And there's a good chance you might have to get actually kind of aggressive with it, like Mark Needham or something. Very possible. It's all just, <laughs> as long as you, you know, you get the desired result and you have to do what you have to do. It's not like you're, you're mixing by math, right? No, I can't do this of any, I can't go beyond 150. Well, maybe you can on whatever instrument it is, right? But, but let's say that you're cutting out a little bit of the, the bass part just to give more room for the sub and the kick or something like that. So that's a common way of doing it. And this goes up to, you know, any other frequency range, but I'm just using this as an example, Mm -hmm. right? Where you might also perhaps cut part of the kick when you get up to maybe like 100 to give more space for for the bass. Mm -hmm. So using EQ to sort of create space for the other instruments. Or space uh, for the more important part in the for frequency the more important, range. See, again, this is why you're the linguist and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, other things to do when we're talking about register here of the low end. I read when I started doing this, I was trying to soak up all the information that I could get my hands on. And one of the things was that, oh, you should always low cut up until 150 Mm. And that was sort of like, oh, okay, well, then I have to do that. But then I struggled with weight in my mixes and so forth because there was nothing there. Right, right. You took it all out. Yeah. So you don't want to be too aggressive with this. But in certain tracks, you don't really need a whole lot of of the low end. Or the low mid. Or Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say go as high as like 150 because that's pretty aggressive. But... Don't be afraid, like if you have, let's say, a distorted guitar part, if you cut out up until maybe like 80, 
you might not really hear it, depending on the tuning of the guitar and stuff like that, of course. Mm -hmm. But standard tuning, you, you might not lose that much. And that's going to be filled out anyway with the bass and so forth. And also with other instruments, if you have like a percussive part, well, you can probably cut a little bit higher to make sure that there's no buildup of all those frequencies that you essentially don't want. Yes. And I know you do a fair bit of that, but on the opposite end as well, on the highs, right? So. I do both, both sides. Plus, yeah. I, I also pay a lot of attention around 275, 310-ish area, especially when it comes to bass and kick drums and things of that nature, as that can be a real rough range to get things sitting. So you want to choose which instrument's going to take over that little frequency range. Yeah. In my mind. Right. No, I'm with you and there. in my ears. And in your ears. Yeah. Yes. No, I'm with you there because in that range, that, that sort of low to mid range, like between like two to 500 maybe, mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the mud can live. However, that's also where sort of like the fundamental and the tone of a lot of instruments live, right? Yes, that's why, we that's get why all you have to build. be careful with it. Yeah. Sometimes just small notes can happen or it can be enough, I should say. Small notes can be enough to get the result that you want, just to clear up a little bit of range there. But in that range, when I'm dealing with kick drums, especially if I'm doing more rock or kind of like a metal kind of a thing, mm -hmm. I can take that you know, knob and just scoop it all the way up <laughs> because there's going to be so much information there anyway. Right. If it needs it, be aggressive, but be careful in that range because that, that's where sort of, well, the weight of everything and the natural tone of the instrument lives. For most instruments, yes. Yeah. Something to be really, really aware of. All right. I'm going to concur with that. And I'm going to direct us now a little bit more towards, you've been given tracks. Mm -hmm. They're not recorded extremely well. They have yeah. issues. Mm -hmm. Aside from just going with the idea of the arrangement and the dynamics and the EQ, you've got other issues now in yeah. terms of noise. And the mic probably wasn't sitting in a good spot or the guy bounced out the tracks to you with weird EQ on it already and you have no idea why. Or somebody pointed the mic at the wall and got the reflection from the wall instead of the actual instrument. Something abnormal. There are issues with the tracks. There are issues saying. with the tracks. Yeah. What do you reach for at that point? Well, I do have something I definitely reach for a lot. But before I do, if there's drastic issues with the track, uh -huh. I will contact the client and say, hey, look, <laughs> this, this is what's going on. Is there a possibility of getting it without the processing or could there be a re-record? If that is not the case, then well, it's my I'm job. saying this is what you've been handed. You now have to do Right. If it's one of those cases where nothing can be redone, because that's always the first port of call. Like sure. if, you can, if you have that... If that's not an option, no, the uh, the drummer, he's on vacation in the Bahamas or whatever. Right? So there's no retracking. <laughs> Hire right? somebody else. <laughs> yeah. But then there are sort of like special software for that. And um, I mentioned it before. I use RX for like Isotope RX yep. for a lot of things. It does an amazing job on like, you know, 60 cycle hum on guitars and that type of stuff. And Well, they and got a very specific module just for that right there. Yeah, exactly. But but the spectral repair is sort of like my first one that I tend to go to. Really? If it's 60 yeah. cycle hum, you're going to go to spectral no, not repair? No, not, not if it's 60 cycle hum, but but any kind of like thing, if there's that rumble that right. you're describing, you know, more often than if 
if it's say like just a specific frequency that is offending it, mm-hmm. it could be you know you mentioned like there's an ac in the room when they did the vocal or whatever right well, there's a few ways that, outside the software and i agree with you rx yeah. is absolutely astounding yeah. There's a few ways in terms of AC rumble, as you mentioned, and this is an interesting tip that you can do is you can record a bunch of that, or if you have it in the track already and you've got a blank section of track that has that sound, take that, clip that out, invert the phase, and run that concurrently with your other track that has the problem. Yeah. And that should erase a whole lot of that actual noise. Now, will it erase other stuff? Yeah, it might. However it will do a good job of getting rid of it because you're literally inverting the sound that is coming into the track that you don't need. And that's yeah. how so we Here's ratio. one of those cases where we make phase work for us. Yes. As opposed we're to, to against right. Yeah. So, but continuing on with the, the whole idea of cleaning up noise using things out of Isotope's bag of RX, what else? There's the um, the guitar denoise or whatever. With, well, with that's the, the one you denoise. just meant. Uh, I was saying the the module that you were talking about where it can take out the sixty right, cycle, the 60 50, cycle. Cy- yeah. uh, fifty cycle hum type. Yeah, thing. I have to pat myself on the shoulder. Like a lot of times, if I'm involved with it, that's not an issue <laughs> because I'm uh, I'm making sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, all of those modules are sort of designed to tackle different issues. Very specific issues, your tra- right? Let's say that there is a co-host that tends to smack his lips when he's talking. Or have a lot of click going on because there's maybe a little extra juice going on inside that mouth. Could have been that, right? <laughs> there, there are things that can do that. So, so those are things that can work on, you know, vocal tracks. In that mouth kind of de-click, stuff as well. they call that. Right. So which ones do you tend to reach for? It depends most of the on time. track. Or, or, it's, that's very much sure. track dependent or program dependent. Or problem dependent. Or problem dependent, exactly. Yeah. So for this particular podcast, as mentioned in every single one of our liner notes for every episode, you can get the list of what's going on. But generally speaking, we have the mouth de-click, we have the spectral denoise, we have, well, I think those are the two main ones that I'm using with this to clean up the audio a little bit outside of our normal recording of things. But when it comes to things like guitars, I remixed... uh, recording that was done originally on ADATs mm-hmm. with live amps, not direct or anything of that nature. And there was a bit of 60-cycle-ish hum. Now, it wasn't exactly 60-cycle hum, and it wasn't exactly 50-cycle hum, but it was somewhere in that nature. And the beauty of the guitar denoise module from RXs is that you can find, hopefully, a blank portion where you're just getting the noise that's coming in from the mic and it takes a noise print of that somehow, and it figures out this is where the hum cycling is happening, and it creates its own EQ curve. And right. I used that to clean up the guitar tracks before I did the new remix of it. And it was magical. It was like, hey, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah. I've used that for guitar tracks. In terms of vocals, a lot of the time I'm using mouth de-click. I'm Sometimes using deplosive, which takes out when somebody is too aggressive on the diaphragm of the mic and creates a big poof kind of sound. Yeah. It is very much program dependent, and they have like a good eight or ten modules that are for very specific things. This kind of goes hand in hand, not necessarily with the muddy mix, but when you're, when you're creating a mix and— Well, but like something said, like the guitar denoise and taking out that hum— 
that is oh, a yeah. bit of mud in the mix that isn't exactly like I'm slinging mud into my ear hole, but it is slinging noise that creates It's problems. creating issues. Right. Yeah. yeah. So no, And that's what I was another gonna... definition to mud of mix, I think. Right. But what I was going to get to there is that the first port of call, because you asked me, what do I do when, you know, I get tracks to mix, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about the arrangement and all the things that we, we spent the better part of the last half hour talking about. But the first thing also is then to spot for any potential problems in the tracks, like you're yes. saying, like whether it's string denoise or the 60 cycle hum, and trying to repair that before I tackle a mix. Mm-hmm. Because the problems are not necessarily going to be solved by throwing them up there. You're just hiding them, right? And they're creating well, it issues. It might with, not with even the hide them, it might actually enhance the problem. When you get Especially, things up to a line level, so to speak, of a mix. Yeah, get a guitar with 60 cycle of hum and then try to compress that a little bit and see what happens to that. You know, <laughs> it enhances it, the problem. <laughs> yeah, so it, so it handcuffs you to do that. So that, that's the first thing as well. But that, that's when I go to like dedicated software to kind of do that. Yeah, To, to of kind course. of take care of that before you go in. So, And, and uh, just to all, be fair, Isotope is not the only company that makes this kind of stuff. Wade sure. makes this kind of stuff. And then there's another company that does it that is like stupid expensive where it's like plugins or the software is like well over $10,000. But that's where you're getting into like stuff, right? yeah, yeah. forensic stuff for like government and police type things. They do have some very, very specialized software to fix certain things. Uh, this is just what we use, and we're both waving the flag here because obviously we're, we're big fans of the I products. And, yeah. yeah, been using and, it for uh, a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And the first time I heard something, I think it was at NAM or something, where they cleaned up some dialogue. It was like, what the hell is this? How kind did of you even hear that at good? NAM? <laughs> it, well, they had a, a relatively big booth when they had like a thing where they were talking to basically post guys gotcha. right, that were in that kind of industry and cleaning up. So so that that's where it's prominent, but it does work wonders for obviously people like you and I were not necessarily doing post work at the moment, but well, I would call tracks. what I'm doing with this podcast post work, damn it. <laughs> yeah, if we're a little, little bit liberal with the definitions. Yes, yeah, a little suppose. bit liberal yeah. with the definition. But yeah, just to kind of recap there, I, I look at the arrangement. We talked about dynamics, you know, between tracks, uh, mm-hmm. EQ, the big one, obviously. And I'd be remiss to say if I didn't bring this up because it's also very, very tempting to kind of just gain clarity by boosting the highs. Oh, that's awful. And, makes things Yeah. So again, brittle. right. It, it becomes that instead and becomes piercing. It's like, and it's one of those, for me, where when I've, notice myself slipping into that territory it's usually when ear fatigue starts setting in Always and then it's like breaks. you know right taking the same kind of care with the high end as you do with the low end i think it, it behooves you as well because again my favorite example here but with with electric guitars and stuff once you get too high in the frequencies it's just kind of noise there so leave that you know that that Exactly that kind of stuff, and it's just oh, it's just kills you. But leave that to you know perhaps percussion or reverb tails on vocals or whatever to mm-hmm. kind of occupy that space. So I think all of that you know we, we think about the low end first, but the high end is just as important for that kind of reason to get that clarity. So yeah, but that's what course. I'm thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking when it comes to muddy mixing. All right, we're well, fixing them. With rather. that, let's move on to our Friday. Finds Chris, you go first. 
I will go first, and this is one of the things where people are going to roll their eyes at me. Uh, <laughs> I'm already doing the, it. Yeah, but speaking of mixes and hopefully good mixes, mm-hmm. I was reminded this week what an awesome mix the music for the Spheres album from Coldplay is. Okay. Now people will go, oh, that band, really? <laughs> but yeah, you listen to that album and tell me that's not a great sounding album. That is my find for this Friday, Music of the Spheres by Coldplay. And you, sir, what do you have? Well, if, before I jump in, who mixed yeah. that? It was one of those, like a team of mixers. So mm-hmm. there's a bunch of names that I don't have memorized. I know they've done works with Brower in the past, but he was not involved in this one. Gotcha. He actually did another album that I really like sonically from them, so Milo Salado, which is just like, when it comes to like pop mixing and the clarity and stuff, yep. man, if you can reach that, more power to you. you know? <laughs> but that's why he's Michael Brower and I'm not. So. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, my Friday find of this yep. week is Roland just released the Juno 60 Chorus. So that you can go and get that retro Juno 60 chorus vibe. And it is a separated plugin from the Juno 60 synthesizer. Mm, and so essentially, you don't need to have the synth. You don't yeah. need to have the synth, but you do need to have mm-hmm. the plugin. And it's the Juno 60 chorus. And it, all it is is an 80s style analog stereo chorus that Roland I'm already down. has in their bag of tricks. Can so, you really have too many choruses? Right? No. I mean, there's different ways to achieve chorus, and some are very simplistic and simple. And then you have things like the Dimension D, and then you have things like the Roland Juno 60. Roland very Juno cool. 60 is my choice of this week. Nice. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to inside the recordingstudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, We'll get you a nice little present from Chris and I. You'll also get weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word mud, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to talk about in a future episode, Contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you later, Jody.